Hello, and welcome to Fulcrum Transmissions, a Star Wars podcast. Thank you for joining us this week. As a reminder, we are bi-weekly until the Ahsoka series releases, so episodes will be uploaded every other Monday, and any changes to that schedule will be posted on our Twitter and TikTok at Fulcrum Pod, and on Instagram at Fulcrum Podcast, so be sure to follow us on any of those for previews and information about upcoming episodes. Hi, my name is Sage. I use she, they pronouns, and you can find me on Twitter and on TikTok at Sage Sandula. Hi, my name is Claire, and my pronouns are she, her. You can find me on TikTok and on Twitter at Claire Cruz. Uh, I'm Tom Holler. I'm editor at uh, Random House Worlds, working on Star Wars books. Um, you can find me, my pronouns are he, him, and you can find me on Twitter at Darth Eternus. Awesome. So yeah, today we obviously have a very special guest, um, and we've had a lot of guests on our podcast before, uh, a lot of other content creators, some writers, but we have never had an editor. So I'm excited to, you know, get into it, talk about, you know, this book. We're talking about Ronin by Emma Miko Kandon, um, which I don't think we've actually had an episode, a full episode on before. So that is really cool. Uh, Ronin is a Star Wars Visions tie-in novel, um, and it is a very great novel, and it is very different from any other Star Wars novel uh, that's been published into the canon. So, uh, yeah, spoilers. This is your general spoiler warning. Um, we're going to get into it. Uh, so if you haven't read it and you care about spoilers, go read it and then come back. But, yeah. Um, so to start, um, what was the process like to find the right author to write this Visions tie-in novel? Oh, man, uh, such a such a big question. Um, so one of the things that we try to do when we're making any Star Wars book is ideally we want to match whatever the broad story idea, whatever the theme or the, the kind of core of the story is with an author who is both really interested in that and really excited about that and has some connection or affinity for that because that is what that's like the secret sauce of like what makes a good star wars book all other things being equal like that's actually the thing that's the secret thing so um in order to find the right author first we had to figure out which of the vision stories we're going to make a book out of and the folks at lucasfilm and all of the folks involved with the visions program were remarkably uh generous with sharing with us all sorts of things about all the stories while they were still sort of in progress most of them were done in terms of the script but many of them were not finished animation wise so we got access to all these things and when we saw the duel which is the short by kamikaze duga that this novel is ultimately based on what really struck us about that was that it was the story of a like the main character of the duel this ronin character is like kind of hates being in this story and also for him is like this is the least important thing like he doesn't really care about what's going on in the story to everyone else like the events of the duel are like massive and huge and for many of them probably central to their entire lives but for him it's like tuesday and he's annoyed that it's tuesday and so we were so struck by like if that's what this guy thinks of this situation like what is his next day like like what is his deal what is going on with him what is his what what does he actually care about and so that really propelled us to want to do a story that took off from there um and then we were also struck just so much by the visuals of that story and how clearly you know it was taking star wars and placing it so directly in the visual influences of japanese storytelling that from any interview you can ever read or listen to from George Lucas and other creators of Star Wars that Star Wars is intrinsically inspired by. 
And so we went about trying to find an author who had a real knowledge and understanding and voice that was connected to those things. And um, for any Star Wars book, we always go and read a ton of stuff to try to find new authors or authors we might have worked with before who just, you know, maybe their voices evolved or their focus, they've become more interested in different things. And so I, we went and read a ton of different things, a ton of different authors, um, including going and finding and getting this piece of a story by this author, Emmanuel Kandon, who had, that hadn't been published yet, that had been sold um, to Tor and is actually, as we're recording this, the book is, the Archive on Dying is coming out in a couple of months. Um, and uh, Emma's uh, agent shared with me the, that book and I read the first three chapters of it. And I put it down and I sent an email to everybody else involved. And I said, this is our author. And I was like, read this. And everybody read the first few chapters and they were like, yep. And then we brought Emma on board because Emma just had such a, first of all, had a voice that was so perfect for this kind of story. But also in talking to them for about five minutes, they just so, they had such a, a wealth of knowledge and deep admiration for the kind of storytelling that the duel itself is based on. And so it became this, this perfect match, this, this perfect secret thing that we're always looking for. Um, but it, it was like a really, it was like a journey in and of itself. The amount of things I read and the amount of stuff I like dug through, um, it's kind of like, think of any movie where there's people just like digging through books and piles of paper looking for like, you know, it's like either the producers or Argo where they're just like trying to find the perfect script. And it's like digging through these things and then finally finding that one thing and like running around being like, oh my God, I found the person, I found the person. That's so awesome. Yeah, no, this, the way that this book is written is so beautiful. Um, and I could not imagine anyone else writing it. It is that perfect, like finding an author who can really just connect and tell the story so beautifully. Also so exciting for the archive Undying. Um, everyone needs to pre-order. Actually, this episode's coming out on Monday, so it'll actually be out tomorrow. Oh, um, I think. Yeah. And- in our future time <laughs> so everyone should go pick it up no I was literally gonna say I have the like net galley like digital review copy of it that I like just started reading and I, so I'm probably about like three chapters in and I'm like yeah I totally I like I see the connection already yeah so good yeah everyone, everyone go read it everyone go read it it's amazing um and I I'm super excited I, I just from time haven't had time to finish the the uh, early copy that I got but like I'm so excited to just see how the book has like evolved in terms of its editorial and development process from the time that I wrote it through now its publication just to see what oh what did they change about it what did they prove what did they what did they make better um so yeah everyone go read it um because Emma's also just like an amazingly wonderful person and so uh deserves all the success uh, and attention in the world yeah completely agree um sort of follow up to that question just talk us through kind of like the general editorial process of like a Star Wars novel. Like how does that look for you? Sure. So it all always starts with like the kernel of a story idea, which is usually like, what is the goal of this story? Like what, like, or I guess put another way is like, why is this book exist? Why does this story exist? What are we trying to do? What are we hoping to do? Um, because then that way at every stage in the process, whether it's looking at an outline or in the manuscript or every, at every stage, we can always point everyone back to like that central question, central goal. So if there's ever a real problem or point of friction, that's like the easy way to solve it. It's like, well, what gets us back to that, that central conceit? Um, and so once we have that, 
And sometimes it's like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to see these two characters together? Or wouldn't it be really great to explore this era of Star Wars more or to connect to this movie or video game or, you know, whatever. Any number of hooks. There are any number of hooks. Um, or they could be really thematic. Hey, we want to explore this type of story in Star Wars because we either haven't seen that ever before. Or we've seen it, but we haven't seen it in this specific way. And once we do that, we then try to find an author that, again, has an affinity for that those things within Star Wars, because I am always talking to authors or I'm always talking to um, literary agents about authors who are interested in Star Wars and just talking about like, what do you like about Star Wars? What appeals to you about Star Wars? And sometimes that's like a really direct thing, like what characters do you really love? But a lot of times, a lot more than that, it is the larger questions about Star Wars and it's the larger themes and it's like which themes really appeal to you or what kinds of storytelling. And then from there, we, you know, put the peanut butter and the jelly together to like create that sort of secret saw, that sort of match. And um, we build an outline and it's super important to build an outline. Um, folks who are writers are engaged in the writing process. Some folks might be writing, uh, might be outline folks and some people might not be outline folks. Well, if you come to write a Star Wars book, I will tell you, you are required to be an out one of the outline folks. Um, and the reason is that is one where we really, the author really gets to sort of figure out, okay, how does that central question actually turn into a book? Because a lot of times the central question isn't in itself not a full story, right? It's just the, the catalyst for one. Um, but the other reason that you do an outline is let's say that, um, let's say that uh, you, you two are gonna co-author a, a Star Wars book for me. Uh, and I say, okay, go write your outline. And you go write like a 10 page outline for me and you send it to me. And in the outline, you've got, you know, two paragraphs about this like event that you wanna happen in the book. Well, let's just say that for whatever reason, that event can't happen because like the characters you chose are like actually off in a comic book somewhere or actually there's a movie coming that that's going to happen in and you know we want to, you know, we want to not, we can't, we don't want to repeat the thing or it can't happen before the thing, you know, kind of thing. Well, it'd be way easier for me to come back to you and say, Claire, Sage, can you, can we re-brainstorm and revise this two paragraphs of this outline versus like you went and wrote a book and that two paragraphs is actually like 100, 200 pages. And oh, by the way, is like really foundational to everything else that happens in the book. So it is the perfect rough draft space for um, tie-in and interconnected publishing where you're not just um, doing the stress tests on like, you know, does the plot make sense? Is the character arc there? Are we, you know, earning our emotional beats, but also like, are we matching up with this movie and those 10 books over there and those three comic books and this other thing? It's just so much easier to do the revisions in that really small space versus please go rewrite 400 pages of a book. Nobody wants, nobody wants that, right? Uh, nobody wants that. And I'm going to be very honest with you. We do not often have time for that level of like start over. So big time on an outline. Um, it's also a great moment too for an author where you can just like ask big questions like, hey, can I try this? And you write it out in an outline and it gives everyone that initial sort of moment of everybody kind of gets to think about it and react to that. And we're like, yeah, actually that'll work, but keep X, Y, Z in mind. And it just guides you more. So A plus for outlines. Uh, and then we have, you know, multiple rounds of manuscripts and back and forth edits and, you know, writing long editorial letters to authors and, um, you know, one of my favorite things, just jumping on the phone with an author and sitting down with them either one-on-one -on -one or oftentimes in larger groups with other folks to talk through stuff and try to solve problems. Um, and then all that nitty gritty administrative stuff that goes into publishing. And then eventually there's a, there's a book at the end of it that's on the shelf somehow magically. 
It's always magical. Every single time, it's magic. I don't know how it happens, even though it's primarily my job to know how it happens, and I don't really know how it happens. Um, but I would say that like the the thing that really like is central to the editorial process for Star Wars novel is quite honestly that outline. And we've had Star Wars outlines that range from like five pages to like 30 plus, um, because some authors are like, cool, my outline is going to just be the book without the dialogue. And some authors who, you know, just write, you know, broader outlines, it, it, that, that part is up to personal preference. Awesome. That is so cool. Yeah. Um, collaboration, I think is, you know, Definitely one of my favorite parts about writing. Um, I'm a very big believer in books, comics, anything. It's not written by one person. It is written by a team. Um, and uh, so I wanted to ask you, um, what is your like favorite part about the editing process? Yeah, specifically like pertaining to Ronan too. What's your, um, how is it like working with Emma Miko Kandon? Um, I mean, working with Emma is amazing because Emma is not just a willing collaborator, as so many folks that I've been lucky to work with are, which is a big thing, right? But they are also such a brilliant collaborator in that they are really terrific at taking taking feedback and taking suggestions and observations and ideas and then immediately identifying like, the real core of those and then just like making them better being like oh that's a great idea and if we tweak this one thing it'll even be like a five times better idea because emma is just like a very natural storyteller and a very natural creative and is also really you know you were speaking at the beginning that like the way the book is written you can't imagine anyone else writing it and it speaks to the unique qualities of emma's voice as a writer and it's a real talent that emma is able to take feedback and ideas and translate them into their own voice to like remain keep a cohesiveness on their own voice even when they are drawing in influences inspirations or ideas from other people that's like a really that's a challenging thing um, that i think every author faces but someone with a very pronounced and unique voice like emma i think faces even more um, as far as my favorite part honestly it was just sitting down to talk to emma to brainstorm ideas and to listen to them explain the talk about like the, the foundation behind their ideas so to talk through like the legacy of like Japanese filmmaking and Jijeki stories and different eras in Japanese storytelling and Japanese history and the like influences on Star Wars and then turning those influences from Star Wars turning them back onto Japanese storytelling and they are just such a uh, they have such a profound wealth of both information and experience about all of that 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 was a real pleasure I definitely scheduled like one, maybe two very completely unnecessary editorial calls. There really wasn't anything to talk about just because I wanted to talk to Emma about these things. Definitely like made up like, oh, we got to talk about this thing and like is really a two minute problem and turned into like a half hour phone call just because I wanted to spend time chatting with them. Um, but my favorite part of the edit process is always probably right around the outline stage oftentimes getting on the phone just to kind of jam with them about like, all right, what do you see for the book? What's your pot? Like, what are the possibilities for where this book's going to go? Um, asking an author, I love to ask an author this as part of that editing process, particularly early on. It's like, 
what are you trying to earn? What's your landing zone? Like what is the emotional, usually it's an emotional beat. You know, sometimes it involves like a big set piece, but usually it's like a character moment, right? It's a moment of catharsis. It's a moment of declaration between two characters. Like what are you trying to earn in the last 20, 25% of this story? So that when I'm editing your story, I can just be thinking about every line and every page with a focus on, we're going to earn that moment. Everything else about the book, we're going to work on. It's going to be great. We're going to make it as good as possible. But if nothing else, we are going to earn that moment. Um, to uh, And for Emma, it was talking through the final confrontation in the book. It's talking through where the Ronin's journey is leading him, who it's leading him to, and what is going to happen in that moment and how that confrontation resolves. And knowing that and then working our way backwards to make sure that again at every moment of the book we are earning that moment so that it actually resonates and doesn't just become like oh okay that's what happens you know you want to feel like that you were really building to it um that's always my favorite part um i think the other favorite part is when i get to call up an author and be like do you want to write a star war uh <laughs> that also is very fun and never gets old but i guess that's technically not part of the editing process that's like just before the editing process um I can imagine that call again, okay? just being like, hey, guess what? You want to write a Star Wars? <laughs> yeah, usually that's after like, you know, we've I've had a conversation with our agent and, you know, there's some administrative stuff worked out. So like, we don't have to do the part where I have to convince them that this is not a prank call. Like, <laughs> we have already yeah. screened through the part where like, no, no, this is really real. My email address is real. I'm actually an employee of this book publisher. Like, you know, um, it's a really real thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah, you were talking about like Emma Miko Cannon's voice and sort of like meshing that with this world. And I was going to say, like, I think one of the things that I loved about this book and thought was like very impressive almost was like the way that I reading it was at the same time, like, oh, wow, this is so like, this is so new. This is so, like, I've never seen anything like this in a Star Wars novel before. But at the same time, I was like, this feels like Star Wars. And I think that like, that, that balance was like really present in this book. And I think that's part of what made it like, for me personally, one of my favorite Star Wars books. I am so glad that you brought that up, Claire, because that, that might have been the biggest challenge of the book, which is that, like all of the vision stories, it is meant to exist kind of in its own space outside of Star Wars, but it still has to be reflective and still, as you said, has to feel like Star Wars, which means that at every moment where you are changing something from Star Wars, whether it's something about the world itself, whether it's something about how a piece of technology works or how something looks, all of those choices have to be intentional. And you can't just like, just, you can't just do something and not think about like, well, how is you, you have to think about like, well, how is this normally in Star Wars? And if we're going to change it, why are we changing it? And that was something that we took. Um, well, first of all, we had the, the great fortune of like having all the material from Kamikaze Duga gave us really great insight into the way that they had decided to approach those changes. Um, and thus we could then take that sort of their own thesis and their own way of doing it and actually just map it onto the book so that it matched what they did in the duel and also it just gave us a kind of almost rubric for how to think about it but that was something that was really challenging and was probably the thing once we sort of cracked what the story was going to be that we spent the most time doing um and the most time 
when I would be talking with folks at Lucasfilm was the thing that we sat down and talked through the most about like, what things does it make sense to change? What things does it not make sense to change? And what changes might be like kind of too far afield, they start to lose, they start to not feel like Star Wars anymore. They start to feel too far from Star Wars. Um, and that part more than anything else probably took the most editorial time. That kind of like testing to make sure that stuff felt right. Um, some things fell into place really easily and other things like we really had to like wrote it. Nope. Try again, try again, try again, just because it just didn't, you know, it, it, it didn't feel of a piece with both the duel and star Wars, which is kind of funny that this thing is actually in conversation with two things, star Wars itself, but also, you know, the, 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 the short. We can um, definitely shift towards like the book itself um, too. So uh, Claire, do you want to, take over the start of that conversation yeah so I guess just general question kind of for everyone to start off is do you have a favorite character from the book I want Sage to answer this first so that I have more time to think <laughs> okay not a problem um my favorite character uh very much easily comes to mind um the traveler is probably I remember um when I first first picked up the book uh reading that their introduction and just being like wow this is this is the most interesting and like unique character that I think I've read about in especially in a Star Wars novel um because like we you're just talking about like this this book very much feels separated from Star Wars but also has that like unique Star Wars feel to it and I think the Traveler's character really just embodies, like, that whole idea. Um, and also, picking up a book and being like, wow, a non-binary main character? Yes, please. I will I will take it. I will, I will eat that up every time. Um, and so, you know, uh, maybe that's, maybe I'm a little bit biased. <laughs> the, night, the, the Traveler, Slade nothing wrong with that and also like the story just like the texture of the story when the traveler shows up like it's like the actual energy of the story you can feel changing from their voice to just the fact that they're just like kind of dunking on the ronin from word one and you know the droid b556 aka hat droid is just sort of like yeah kind of dig this person i don't know why and the ronin you know that the traveler is a great character because the ronin immediately hates them um which is kind of your, your test for like is this a cool character oh ronin doesn't like them yep cool character so no you're not wrong for picking the traveler and then even those sections when the book just decides to become first person because the traveler is like kind of doing their you know canterbury tales like you know bard in D, D. let me like let me play an instrument and, and you'll play you a song uh, yeah the travel was great all right i'm gonna cheat again claire you have to you have to go because i i still have a list i'm working <laughs> through in my head <laughs> um i think my char favorite character has to be probably akia i think she's very much to me the character that like grounds this story almost I feel like especially you know like it's Star Wars and we have like Jedi and Sith and like in this story we have like spirits and like witches like like there's so much going on and she to me was the character that I was like okay you seem like the closest thing there might be to a normal person here like a person that I can relate to um and I just love like her whole story she has so much like 
she has like her goal in mind she has so much like determination for what she wants to do and also just like her like every interaction she has with Koru is so good and the way that like the trust between them develops like throughout the book was like definitely some of my favorite parts I love Akia and you're right like Akia you know, it, this often gets used a lot in in like in Star Wars movies or the Star Wars stories a lot, but it's sort of like, you know, like, oh, they're like the Han Solo. They're the person who like pokes fun at the absurdity of the world around them and that grounds the world more. But like Ikea really is, as you said, like it's like a normal person in this world that is a, e even weirder than normal Star Wars because it's like not only are there Jedi and spirits and Sith and other things, but it's like some of the Jedi are also spirits and some of the Sith are also Jedi. Like it's just really out of control. And their fatigue in the story, like their fatigue at everything and the fatigue at like the weight of their mission and the weight of what she wants to do and is trying to do is like so palpable. Um, I just I think about like that scene where she goes to see her friend who's the slicer in order to like get some more equipment and stuff and they have a paragraph just talking about just like kind of how tired and broken the both of them are and that there's no pretense between either of them anymore because they've like just you know they've seen everything together and that she exists like that across the whole story is is awesome. Um, I will also tell you that Akia when we were working on the outline and all of these characters to Emma's great credit were kind of fully formed from the outline, except Akia. And it wasn't that Emma didn't have a handle on Akia, but Akia was the one that like in looking at the outline and then talking to Emma, there was like still not quite, we hadn't quite landed totally on what the motivation and the arc for that character was going to be. Um, and so Akia was the one that I think through the development of the book probably evolved the most just naturally, whereas everybody else, like from the word go, kind of had their starting point, had their ending point. Akia was the one who evolved, and I think brilliantly and beautifully. Um, and you mentioned their relationship with Koru um, as evidenced by that passage that you read on a previous episode, um, which is the, the, you know, the, um, you know, be my prayer scene between them near the end of the book which is just oh, it's heartbreaking and it's affirming and it's like man it's it's everything you want it's everything you want it's so good uh, it's so good um and i'm still talking about it because i am trying to set on a favorite character because it's so hard for me to pick um it's so hard for me to pick and i think the reason is that like every one of these characters is so distinct you know, Akia versus the Ronin versus Hat Droid versus Koru versus um, the Traveler versus, you know, Hanrai, the like bombastic, just like Jedi um, general guy. Um, I am going to choose, though, it's not quite, it's a character, but it's, it's very specific, which is I'm going to choose the voice, which the voice we know is a particular character and we find out who that character is later in the book but specifically when they exist as the voice um one absolute sucker for that sort of somebody hears a voice in their head is it a real person is it just them can anyone else hear them no they can't you know this guy's now talking to himself in public but he's not because there's a person there I love the voice so much. Um, I love how quickly in the first chapter of the book, 
um, which is technically novelizing the visual of the duel, but it's doing its own thing. How quickly the appearance of that voice just changes the tenor of the whole book. You're like, all right, wait, is this guy, this, is this guy just like crazy? Like just talking to himself, like what's going on? But then after about three instances, you know, you realize like, oh no, that's another, that's a, that's an entity. Um, and I just love the presence of the voice. I love how mysterious they are, but kind of how funny they are while also being really sinister. Um, and I'm just a sucker for it. So I'm going to, I'm going to choose the voice. Um, Honore mentioned to Yohiro, uh, the young Jedi who, um, hangs out with Ronin is just totally cool talking to this dude, like no fear at all. Like, uh, I wish I had the, the bravery and courage of, of you hero to just be like, what's up, uh, Sith assassin, assassin dude, who's ripping this giant ship down <laughs> around me. Um, but the voice, I think, I think it's the voice. No, I think that's such a good choice, especially cause like, yeah, when you get towards the end and you find out who the voice actually is, it literally made me like, rethink about the entire book like I had to like reframe everything that had happened it was like insane to me I mean isn't that that's another one of my favorite storytelling things is like just any story where you get to the end, last page and you go oh come on and you're like now I have to read this again because now I get to read it with a completely different experience no, exactly now over because knowing what I know you know not just re-enjoying the things that I like but just like recontextualizing um, but I love the voice. Also, so Emma and I, when we were talking about this, you know, we always had talked about, we don't want this book to be a novelization. We don't want to just novelize the duel. The duel is only about 10 minutes, 12 minutes, I think long anyway. So that'd be a pretty short book um, to novelize it. So we're always like, we're not going to novelize the duel, the whole thing. We'll novelize at the very beginning, but then we want to tell an original story coming out of that. We think that'll be the best experience for people who watch the duel, but also the best if someone happens to pick this book up, having not watched the duel. And so in talking about like what was going to be the original story, what was going to be the original thing, the voice is the thing that unlocked it. And like Emma and I both had a sort of like giddy children on Christmas morning moment when we were talking and all of a sudden one of us, I forget, Emma, definitely Emma, because Emma's much more creative than I am. Emma was like, well, what if there's this voice? And and then we find out the voices, but it was, it was, it was like Chris, it was again, it was like discovering Christmas and um so yeah it's the voice um I love that um you brought up uh the idea that this is not a novelization um and I I think that I don't I'm kind of going into our next question which is going to be um what's your favorite moment or scene in the book so I'll give you some time to think about it while I, while I talk me. I have to choose I a favorite scene okay <laughs> um but what I found really striking about the book was the the beginning was this um what we had already seen uh in visions and one visions just as a show is phenomenal um and we had a whole episode on it earlier where we were just kind of rambling about how creative um and how star warsy it feels even though it is something we've literally ever seen before and then you kind of have that feeling all over again when you read this book. You kind of have this whole, um, I don't know, it's just like a moment of like, wow, this is what was going on. Um, when at least versus like when you watch the short, you're kind of like, this is cool. This is cool. I like this. The art is cool. <laughs> but now you, you, you pick up this book and you're like, oh, wow, there's so much more. There's a lot going on here. 
Um, and so I think that, you know, that first, that, that beginning where we kind of, um, get introduced to this expansive universe that isn't necessarily what we know from, from Star Wars. It's very different, but it still has that same feel. It has those, those motifs that, uh, at least in my opinion, are the most important and most prominent ones in Star Wars. It, it deals with like found family and it deals with, you know, finding, kind of refinding yourself. And um, I think there's just a lot of things to take away from this book. Um, and that is what my favorite part about reading Star Wars books is, <laughs> is uh, kind of being able to open up something in a galaxy far, far away and be like, wow, I found I learned a lot about myself from reading these. So any uh, favorite moments or scenes? <laughs> well, I'm going to cheat again. And so first I will build slightly off what you just said about the beginning and then novelizing it was like, in part, you watch the duel and you're like, all right, first of all, the first couple of chapters, but I have to earn, have to earn that because that is, it's so visually stunning. It's so visually arresting that you're like the first couple of chapters of the book have to be worthy of that story or else anybody who watched the duel is going to be like, yeah, but I could be watching the duel. Like, why am I reading that? I could just be watching it because it's so good and it's so amazing. Um, but then to your point, we really wanted that moment that even if you had watched the duel like five times and then you read these couple of texts, you'd be like, okay, I'm getting a little different. I'm getting so much more interiority. If nothing else, you actually get interiority of Koru. You like, you get to figure out what's going on in Koru's mind during that fight, which the, the visual obviously doesn't give you at all. No insight into that character. But then with that third chapter, we really wanted that feeling of like, this is a completely new story. This is you've turned the duel on for the first time, sort of like no idea what's coming moment. And that third chapter is like that that linchpin when Cordy wakes up and the voice is now in Cordy's head and you as the reader are like, wait a minute, that voice was in that guy's head. Now that voice is in this person's head and they definitely were dead. Why aren't they dead anymore? And you, know, you have a million questions and you're racing off to the future uh, with that. Um, so I do, I do love the first three chapters, but I can't believe you're going to make me pick a favorite moment. Um, I mean, I, I think we would all be doing severe malpractice if we all didn't collectively choose the I'm holding a cat moment uh, <laughs> from about two thirds of the way through the book when uh, Ronan threatens the traveler and the traveler is just holding a cat and that is their response. I'm holding a cat um that moment is amazing um uh i hope a star wars movie one day just steals that and just have a character respond to like a sith lord with like two or five lightsabers just be like i'm holding a cat like what is wrong with you um please get a handle on yourself um again because there's like so many interactions like you know it's like hard to choose one so i will riff on one but then i'm probably gonna talk about nine others after you two go um i i think it's really important in star wars books for there to be just like in any star wars story to be there to be changes in tone it's like it's cool to have like a really dark and heavy and weighty and emotional and introspective story but 
those stories need to have some levity to them. They need to have some light. They need to have some hope that ideally need to have a bit of comedy or a bit of sort of, you know, um, relaxation to them and vice versa. If you're going to have a really like funny or really like kind of bombastic adventurous story, you should find moments for like real emotion for real, you know, catharsis. And so I love when they are on the cruise to Daikin because they're going to look for the crystal. And then the only way to get there is to go on this pleasure barge and all of them have to dress up in costumes and they make the Ronin dress up as the Sith Lord. And he has to pretend to be the Sith Lord. And again, it's a moment where he is hating it. He's hating himself. He's hating everyone around him. Everyone is kind of making fun of him, but because of who he is he actually plays the role perfectly just standing there being surly they're just like exactly that's the face like make make that face and it's such a funny moment in a book that to that time has like kind of sarcastic comedy to it or some dark comedy it's a genuinely funny and light moment that is then used to like actually tell you something more about the world because you hear um, almost in the ways that like the Canobite scenes um, or even um, scenes from uh, this season of The Mandalorian when we were on Coruscant with Dr. Pershing, like reveal something about the other people who exist in the galaxy and how they view events in the galaxy. So I really love that because it serves this purpose of being unbelievably funny, but also using that comedy as a way to then tell you something actually really kind of important about the world that you exist in. Um, okay, I can talk about my favorite scene. I mean, my probably my favorite is the one that I've talked about a million times about the like asking Cora to be her prayer. Um, but if I had to pick another one, oh gosh, there's so many. Literally everything that happens at the end of the book like could be my favorite. I do love there's that moment where like the traveler and the Ronin are like sitting back to back and they're just like talking to each other. And it's like pro- one of the first and only times that they have like real vulnerability that they're not trying to hide behind like hostility or like, you know, trying to like conceal how they're actually feeling or like distrust, whatever. And they're like, I don't know. It's just like the fact that they're just like sitting, talking to each other, especially when it's like very close to the end. So like everything's kind of going crazy. A lot of things are like going to shit and they're just like having a conversation and like a real conversation for one of their first times. And I just, oh my God, I just love that scene so much. It's so good. Like I could literally just reread that scene like every single day. It's awesome. I can, I can picture it. I can picture the words. It's, it's such a, it's a powerful moment of like, they are vulnerable and like, they can't see each other, but they're bad. They're touching. So mm-hmm. you get that vulnerability of like, they don't have to hide anything, but there isn't anything to hide because they're like physically in contact with each other. And they're both so tired by this point in the story. And like Ronan is like, got like, you know, a million stab wounds in his wheeze. Like they are so broken. Um, and you're right. So honest with each other, except there's like, there's one last bit of honesty that has to come that hasn't come just yet. And I, it, it happens right after that scene, but that scene is like, yeah, you know, we, there's no more like kind of that the funny banter between them has exhausted itself. And it's just like, we, we can only be ourselves here at the, you know, the end of all things sort of, sort of moment. Um, I am, because you, because you mentioned um, Akia and Koru, I am curious to hear more about like what you thought of when Koru first meets Akia and like given that like you now know where that goes like what you thought about them like when they first interacted with each other versus like where that 
scene and moment ends up with them my gosh well i was just like i mean i i i know i remember i loved akia like from the first moment that she was on the page i was like i can tell this is a character i'm gonna like um and koru yeah koru too is is really interesting because like obviously after you watch the short you don't think that she's gonna like have a lengthy story after that and so like getting to the book and realizing that she was gonna be like a major character still um but just yeah like that whole the whole like group of them um that have to like kind of reluctantly team up to go on this mission I think that like Akia's opinion on Koru is sort of like you're like you're all kind of getting on my nerves but like maybe you're slightly more tolerable than like everyone else on this ship right now and them kind of like almost bonding over like everyone else being so exhausting to like be around and work with is like my favorite thing ever and it's such a good like dynamic for like a relationship between two characters especially in a book like this where like like you were saying earlier everyone is so has such a distinct personality and motivations and like no one really gets along that well for a majority of the book um and so having those two characters who like still don't get along that well but you can tell that there's a little more like respect and understanding between them than maybe like any of them with any of the other characters yeah and when when we find out a bit more about like what akia's background is and then you start to recognize like the kinship akia I think comes to recognizing Koru about like, I understand what it means to like, not be, not own yourself and not just own yourself, like in a, you know, a way of like being your own person and having a ship, but like not owning like your thoughts or your perspective on the world or your goals. And I think that where they end up comes a lot from like recognizing yourself in another person and wanting for them what you've been trying to achieve but maybe haven't and wanting them to at least have that same thing even if it isn't theirs because hopefully they'll like they'll feel that same sort of sense of purpose and freedom um and i i don't know if you felt this way but like when that scene happens when the like you know she's not asking me to pray she's asking me to be her prayer i was like i i just could not have fathomed that that specific thing was coming i couldn't fathom that akia was going to give up her goal to that person until it happened but then as you said it's like once it happens you're just like of course of course that had of course those two like had to be the had to be the ones oh yeah i think it's that and also like how seriously koru takes that trust like she she literally is like okay i will literally like put everything on the line to do this for you and yeah i was like taken back by it i was like wow like trusting her with something that has literally been like the most important thing in your life for so long and for her to like not take advantage of that trust and to like actually make good on her promises to her was oh my gosh I just loved it so much it's such a good scene yeah and even when in you know later when Koru is falling like she's not trying to save herself she's trying to save the things that Kia gave her like it's like even like to the bitter end of danger it's like I'm putting this thing that was entrusted for me ahead of my own well-being my own safety my own care you know trying to reach out for those crystals as they're falling sinking doing whatever's going on as that scene that scene gets very like metaphysical and trippy and a very you know very intentionally but that the, the two of them I think, and because they're kind of so, you know, one is 
One, Ikea is like as normal a person, quote unquote, as you could be in this story. And Koru, because of her circumstance, is kind of as unnormal a character as you could have in this circumstance, that the two of them being the ones who sort of, you know, um, drift and bridge together uh, makes a lot of sense. I also, you were I'm thinking about your mention of like um, the traveler and the Ronin sitting back to back. There's a scene, it's much shorter, but like when Koru finally sort of decides not to murder the Ronin, when they have that sort of abbreviated fight on the ship and the two of them are just like falling over each other and everyone's yelling at them, like, can you be like, can you not kill each other for five seconds? This sort of weird uh, moment of understanding that like, isn't even all that heartfelt because I think Koro ends it by being like, I'll kill you when you're worth killing. Because <laughs> like, he's so, at that point, he's so, um, he's kind of very pathetic, you know, and he's so sort of injured. I think like that moment stands out to me too. Cause like, I just love Koro's journey of like claiming her own decision-making and like claiming back her own agency physically, you know, kind of spiritually, emotionally, and, those moments where she's like aware of like I'm doing a thing for me and it kind of starts with like this guy that like I'm supposed to kill because I'm supposed to kill him but why you know and and goes through many other things um really love that too um but then and I I don't I, I think you probably feel this way too Claire because I've, I have know you've talked about various quotes of like these little things it's just like all these very tiny things which aren't even scenes but they're like just lines like the line when hat droid says he's gonna pray and there's no expansion on it. It's just like Hatroid said he was going to pray. It's like a droid praying, kind of a, is an interesting thing, but just like that's his response to like them leaving on the mission, the last part of the mission. He's like, I'm going to pray. And then there's all the, there's like all those tiny little intricate things that like Emma has woven through the story. Um, I find I think about as much, if not more, than like the big set pieces, than like the fights or the, you know, him ripping the, Jedi cruiser. I keep wanting to call it a Star Destroyer. It's not actually a Star Destroyer, but that, you know, that kind of big ship, you know, like he's ripping it out of space himself. Um, uh, those little things are just like peppered, peppered throughout. Yeah. I also, I always come back to the quote towards the end. That's something I'm not going to be able to remember the exact quote right now, but it's something along the lines of like when the galaxy can like rest and heal and like bear new fruit or something like that it's like at the very end of like a section it's literally like I had to like put the book down and think about it, it so good oh man I need to find that quote because I know what no, I know I'm like I know what it is but I can't like oh. get the right words yeah. and then there's like there's the one that's like a real heavy hitter that's like um honor their name as you never honored your own which is just a kind of uh you know devastating thing for someone to have to think and say um when uh the ronin is thinking about his his own legacy and thinking about the the voice and and everything um and i know that we're like kind of going deep and like spoiling but there's like that one thing about the end of the story that i'm still just like just don't spoil yeah, it yeah. somebody's gonna listen to this has never read the book and it's like i will spoil everything else but i don't want to spoil that one thing about the voice so that's why i keep referring yeah. it to it that way um but, but yeah on uh, honor my name the way you never honored yours is like it's such like a biting criticism of someone that's actually delivered kind of in a you know pretty you know relatively um benign way but it's like a really damning criticism of ronin and the way that he views himself and his his own like place in the world 
um, which is which is wild. What I, I want to ask, and I guess this gets into like the thing I just said about like, yeah, but there's this one thing I don't want to spoil. The first time you, when you, so did you watch the duel before you read Ronin or did you start reading Ronin before you had seen the duel? I watched the duel first. I was dying to remember like how much time elapsed between like when I watched Visions and when I read the book. I don't think it was that long. Like I think I started reading it pretty shortly after but I had watched the short first and I was kind of like you know I watched the short and I was like okay I know there's a book about this like this is good like I would like to read a book about this not thinking that I was gonna get like that as invested in it as I did I was like yeah like it seems like like I had a good time watching it I'm sure I have a good time reading it and then by the end of it I was like oh my god like I literally was like crying like it was so much for me I mean, the first time we got the manuscript in and I, I devoured it because like I'd seen the outline and the outline, like we had proved the outline, everything. And like the outline is the story again, like what happens on the last page of the book is in the outline. So like I was just so primed. I devoured it, I think, in like a night. I just spent like a whole night just reading it straight through the first time. And I like we were, you know, not actually going to the office, but I like staggered into the office the next day to just be like, I don't like. Emma, I, you got everyone's got to read this story. Like, I couldn't even like start to explain like what what they had happened, what they had like achieved, like even in that very first draft. I'm just like, this is ridiculous. You have to read this. But what I wanted to ask was, and again, and if, I mean, if, if we end up spoiling it, that's totally fine. Um, what did you think was going on with the voice the very first time you were reading it, particularly having watched the duel and like, obviously the voice is not part of the duel. Um, so what did you think was going on with the voice, like in the early part of the book, perhaps even in that novelization section before it, it you know, we see quarter with it and suddenly quarter becomes like a revenant. I mean, it was like, I definitely had this thing at the beginning where I was like, okay, like maybe he just kind of like has this voice in his head. Like maybe it's not that serious. And then as you keep going, you kind of realize that like the voice has its own like, not agenda, but like motivations and like personality and is like very much attached to a real person. Um, I'm trying to remember what my like early like who this might be thoughts were. I mean, it was definitely like, I think that it, it becomes like apparent that the voice is definitely someone like very strongly linked to the Ronin's like personal life. Or like, but you you also know like he has such a long like history and he has affected a lot of people and like his actions and like even like groups that he was a part of have caused have have had consequences like across the galaxy and so it's so hard to be like this specific person that would want that would be like so strongly linked to him that is like literally a voice in his head that he cannot get away from and then of course as soon as I read the end I was like this makes so much sense to me. That's very cool. Yeah, I've, I actually have never, I've never had the opportunity to ask someone that question because pretty much everyone I've ever talked to about the book was someone who mostly, uh, or at least had a long conversation with, was mostly people who were involved in helping to make the book. So everybody from the mm -hmm. beginning knew, you know, who the, who the, the, the identity of the voice. Um, and I'd be really curious to like get almost a survey of people of like throughout, let's say the first, half of the book who did you think the voice belonged to you know who did who what was the identity of the voice or just what was going on with the voice um until you you know get to the, to the latter stage and find out the the wild truth <laughs> behind it um 
yeah no the whole ending just like I like like even beyond just like the voice like everything that happened at the end I was like no I never could have predicted any of this when I picked up this book like I never would have thought this was where we were going especially in terms of like the like interpersonal relationships and like the really like strong bonds that form between these characters who like for a large portion of the book you're either like trying to kill each other or like don't like each other or like are very reluctantly working with each other until the very end when there's like a like really deep connection that has formed between all of them just purely because they all kind of came together for this like shared goal um what like I never would have guessed from the beginning yeah it's I I would if someone if someone and if if someone does I am gonna need to see proof like if someone has proof that they were able to like guess correctly (laughs) where this where this book ends up going you know I, I will totally admit there are definitely Star Wars books that like you pick up you read like the first third of you can probably make a pretty educated guess as like, oh, where is this book going to go? Or like, where are we going to land in the last two chapters? And there's nothing wrong with that. Most, a lot of the Star Wars movies, you could do that too. Nothing wrong with that kind of storytelling. There's a real value in that. And in readers feeling comfortable about like, I know where this story is going to go and it's how we get there. That's the part that's really important. Um, But if someone can, and if someone did, I will be um, super impressed. And I want to have a very long chat with them about how their imagination works because it's probably pretty brilliant <laughs> but the thing i what i love too about the way the book wraps up and it's something that you've spoken to and something that sage also spoke to is like the ending of this book for kind of as different as it is is still intrinsically linked and wrapped up in the bonds and the emotional relationships between characters which is so fundamentally star wars because that is fundamentally how every star wars story is wrapped up that like you know the end of return of the jedi is not about a green lightsaber and a red lightsaber and force lightning swinging at each other it's about a father and a son like you know a, a son bonding rebonding with his father in order to overcome like not only this emotional gap but also like this this actual like embodiment of evil before them and it has nothing to do with like the physical mechanics that are going on in that story. It's all about the emotional relationships. So that Emma was able to reflect something like that just goes back to like how much the story for as weird or as different or as wild as it gets still remains like intrinsically Star Wars because like that's what Star Wars stories are about. That is what carries the day or that's what like solves the problem at the end of the day. Um, and I think her ending for as, as kind of weird as it is, God, I, I love when Star Wars is weird. Um, that's one of my favorite things to tell people is like, look, when Star Wars gets weird, that's when it gets real good. Um, for as weird as it gets, that's why it still like holds its center. Um, Sage, you need to tell us your, your favorite part of the book. Otherwise, Claire and I will just continue to like name scenes in the book and eventually we'll just get around to every single one of them. Um, my favorite part of the book is, is well, <laughs> Okay, I get I get why the questions are so hard. <laughs> um, I don't know. I I think the most I think the most striking part to me, like I said, is is that beginning where you're kind of like you've seen it on the screen, but then it like becomes something so much more. Um, but I think I, also we already talked about it, but the, another one that comes to mind is when the Ronin and the Traveler first meet um uh it's so like the the words really come off of the page I know that's like a cliche but like 
they really do. It is so, I just love their dynamic. Um, but yeah, there's just, there's just a lot. I, I think my favorite part of the book isn't necessarily a scene in particular or a character in particular. It is the prose. It is how it is written. Um, it's Emma Miko Candon's voice. I think that they are such a unique uh, writer. Um, Jealous of Claire did not know that she got a NetGalley arc of Archive and Dying because I didn't, but I'm just kidding. I didn't, but... I just have to wait like everybody else, I guess. Um, but yeah, no, I, I do think I, I remember when I first picked up the book, I was like, this is so insane. Um, that, you know, just prose-wise, the story, the narrative structure of it. Um, yeah, I just think that that's probably my favorite part of the book, not necessarily one scene in particular. I mean... When the voice says, um, don't you have work to do to open chapter three? And you're like, who's the voice talking to? And they're suddenly talking to a dead body. Yeah, the book is like, we, you know, you're definitely like not in Kansas anymore. Um, I, so I have to ask you, because I asked Claire, mm -hmm. the first time you read this, what did you think was going on with the voice? Before, you know, before you get far enough into the book that the voice becomes, you know, that, that that's revealed. What did you think was going on um, with the voice? Especially, again, having seen the duel and being like, well, the voice is not part of the duel. So, like, this is definitely some different thing. Um, I think at first it's, uh, I was like, oh, this guy's really messed up. <laughs> I mean, you were, <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, <laughs> I really I really did um I don't know I'm like a I'm a big fan of the trope of like your past is haunting you kind of thing um and it like manifests physically so at first at first I thought that that's what was happening I was like oh, something really messed up happened and this guy is like seeing ghosts but they're not really real it's all just like trauma um but yeah no I think I was just like Ooh, we're hearing voices today. <laughs> <laughs> Not just today, all the time. <laughs> uh, all the time. Uh, he's always always hearing voices. Uh, uh, he is he is definitely always hearing voices. I think, yeah, you you said you like the trope of like your past haunting you, but it is like a literal like a like a real manifestation of your past. I think it's like this book is really cool because it's like it, it is that for a lot of the book and not just in the Ronin like in kind of everyone everyone has like a lot of like they've been through some stuff um but then you know you get towards the end and it's like okay it literally is his past coming back to haunt him but in like a much more real way than I feel like I've ever seen like it li like a literal like manifestation of a person from his past and that like was crazy because you know like as the book goes on you kind of like okay no like I feel like this is a person like we're kind of like we know that like the voice is its own thing whatever and then you realize that it like is kind of both um and I think that's yeah such a cool thing about like this kind of like hidden identity that we learn throughout the book there's a um I will share a, a bit of um both editorial development and actual story moment I will merge them into this cool little nugget of there's a um there's the scene in the book where he has this sort of flashback and we get this sort of you know, throughout the book, we get bits and pieces about like 
who he is, what he's done, what set him on this path, but there is that flashback moment where we get the sort of, I will call it the definitive truth, though I think there's a probably argument to be made about what is definitive truth when it comes to this guy. And originally, um, Emma had written that scene. It is meant to be a little bit of like looking, you know, through the, you know, looking through the, through the mirror, through the hourglass kind of, you know, it's meant to be a little almost kaleidoscopic, right? It's supposed to be a little, and I believe in the very first draft that Emma had like tried writing it second person inside of first person, um, which was absolutely wild. And I really dug it, but I was like, I don't, I don't think, I don't think this, it ultimately didn't quite work because it, it became one of those things where we had to mechanically massage so much of the language just to make it followable that it, it didn't, it fell apart. So we, we rewrote it slightly differently, but um, I can remember like reading that scene for the first time and being like, okay, I get what's going on. But like, I much like the Ronin almost had an anxiety. I was like very anxious reading this scene because it was, it was so challenging. I was like, I'm not a good enough editor to edit this scene. Like I'm not, <laughs> I don't, I'm not good enough language to edit this scene because it was so good. Um, so good and so creative, but ultimately had to kind of like smooth the edges of it to make it like a little more like, um, a little more akin to like the way you see flashbacks in other stories. Cause they were, they were trying to be, um, kind of so invented with it. Um, uh, I think that's honestly like one of the only big edits that we had to make to the story. Cause as I keep saying, like the rest of it was like in the outline and then just like fully formed on page one when Emma went to write, it just flowed out of them, uh, which is which is a super cool thing. Yeah, I will say, I think that this this book in particular was a little bit more literary, literally challenging um, than I think I, most Star Wars books that I read and I mean that's obviously like I'm saying that's a good thing like Emma is a phenomenal writer um but I do I, I also I mean it has to do with the plot too but I do I read this later than everybody else and I remember texting like all of our group chats and being like guys I don't know what's going on <laughs> for a lot of it and they were like you're not supposed to yet I was like why is it why are these people like hearing voices why are there like spirits and the Jedi are different and <laughs> but ultimately I think the end result and I mean well not even just the end but like halfway through you're kind of like this is unbelievably amazing maybe for like a future reprint we'll go in and just put little affirmations like at the beginning of some of the chapters being like don't worry it's okay to be confused no you're not supposed to know what's going on right now no you didn't miss who that person is and like just some affirmations and then as you get to the end of the book it's just be like now you know <laughs> sort of There's a couple uh, footnotes here and there yeah, just, yeah. Um, keep going you got this <laughs> yeah, oh my promise answers are coming you're right there <laughs> i think the thing that was almost like made it harder for me in that way when i was reading it too was because like as someone who knows a lot about star wars it like i had to like actively work to be like okay no but like this isn't like the jedi are not the jedi that i am thinking of and like the sith are not like i remember after i finished it i gave I gave my copy to a friend of mine who's like a very like was a very like casual Star Wars fan and she's an English major and I was like you will love this book you don't really need to know that much about Star Wars like just read it trust me and I feel like she was less confused at the beginning than I was partially just because she's like you know that's what she like does with her life so she's probably better at reading than I am but also was just like 
I spent so long having to be like, okay, when they say Sith, like it's, it's this kind of Sith, not like what we're thinking of when you think of like Sith and Star Wars and that kind of thing. But like, once you kind of like orient yourself to like the world and, and like the history of this world, as opposed to like the history of the like traditional, like canon Star Wars galaxy, I think that was when I started to kind of just be like, okay, just kind of forget about all that. And like, start fresh with like this world and let it kind of like build itself and I think that that really helped me as I was like getting more into the book yeah you really you really do have to like unlearn what you have learned like it really does and one of that actually also informed some of the development of the character and the story um you know the ronin by by definition is like a very mysterious character you know in the dual short we learn nothing about him other than he has a red lightsaber that's kind of weird i mean he's got this thing with crystals that's weird and he also has prosthetics but like that's you you learn basically just visual things about him you know really nothing nothing else other than like one comment from uh android um and so in looking at that and also looking at the the script for it um we actually really leverage the fact that he's such a mystery as a way to help people unlearn what they have learned because one could imagine if this book opened with like a two chapter diatribe of like here's the world of jedi this world of sith and jedi and a rebellion and this thing and jedi serve the empire and these princes and this thing that like it would probably be overwhelming because it would so clash with like what your just basic knowledge of Star Wars in, even without getting into like deep lore or any, or like, you know, political organizations or anything like that. Just like your fundamental baseline for Star Wars, that having someone who is the central character of a story who's so mysterious allows you to like drip feed everything about not just him, but the world around him, because he's also so uninterested in the world around him. Like he does not care what the politics of the world around him is. Like he absolutely doesn't. In fact, the traveler, like, is trying to tell him things about what's going on in the world. He's just like, please don't. Like, I want to unsubscribe from this newsletter. Um, and that played a real role. Like, Emma really made a conscious decision about that in order to help people kind of unlearn this small bit, learn this new bit, unlearn this small bit, learn this new bit, so that by the time you get to that last third of the story where, like, you really need all those emotional moments to land, all of that unlearning has been done. And you've got buy-in from people about like, okay, this is the world or this is the galaxy that I'm in. And now you can hit me with like the emotional resonance and I'm not gonna be distracted about like, wait, why does that Jedi guy have a ship that's a bit like a Star Destroyer, but not like a Star Destroyer? And what does the word Sith mean in this world? And what's going on with the the white and the black powers in the in the force? Like you've, you've sort of done all of that work and you have then moved it to the side to then focus on the story. That was like a really conscious decision. Uh, of trying to trying to teach readers, which is another unique thing that, about this book. Most Star Wars books don't really have to teach people about Star Wars, um, maybe in a very limited way. Maybe you have to teach them about some new bit of technology. You know, some, the High Republic books are often teaching folks a little bit about like something related to technology because the era is so different. You know, hyperspace travel, a little bit different, or, you know, the way that communication works, a little bit different. But you're usually not doing that about everything which is what ronin is doing um so yeah it's like a really a really intentional thing um i feel like we've kind of just been talking about this the entire time but maybe <laughs> to like sum it up um what about this book um is makes it unique uh in your opinion 
I mean, I think as much, probably more so than any other book, it is able to tell a Star Wars story while also making a real commentary on the core themes of Star Wars and where Star Wars comes from, because it is, you know, also in conversation with so many of the things that we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation, so many of the things that inspired George Lucas and inspired other folks who have worked on Star Wars. And so because it sits in this liminal space between those things, it can critique and give a commentary on the like Japanese storytelling traditions and the themes of those traditions that inform Star Wars. But then it can also take them and show you how they have been changed existing in this you know, sci-fi fantasy world of Star Wars. Um, and it can do all that in a way that just, you know, a book that is about Luke Skywalker can't do by design, not because the writer is not talented enough, not because it wouldn't be interested in those things. It's just that because you're within the story of Star Wars, you're within the framework of the galaxy far, far away, and you just couldn't, you just, you can't do that. It's hard to critique the thing in that way from inside the thing. So the fact that it sits outside that. Um, but I think the other thing that it does and the other thing that makes it not unique in that it's the only Star Wars book to do this, but I think it makes it very emblematic of a thing that Star Wars books try to do and something that I try to do in working on them. It's like, I so value wanting to tell Star Wars stories that come from a very personal and specific place and have a very specific voice attached to them in terms of their creators. And I think that's actually a big part of the Visions program overall is all of those shorts are not just informed by like people who like Star Wars and have a take on it, but people who have like a very specific lived experience or background or identity that they want to reflect in a Star Wars story. You know, from any any of the studios from season one of Visions to, you know, season two of Visions, like any listen to or talk or any of the interviews, consume any of the interviews or any of the behind the scenes stuff and you'll get that. And I think Emma was able to really bring so much of themselves and their background and their identity and their voice to this. That is what we try to do with every Star Wars book. And it's like, this is the best possible example of it in my mind um, of like, that's what a Star Wars book should do. Um, and that's the thing like that I'm, I'm as an editor always aiming to try to do. Um, you know, whether we land that high on the mountain every time is open for interpretation, but like that's always the goal. I think this is like one of the best examples of that. Anna, what do you, what do you, what do you think makes this book unique? Well, <laughs> <laughs> other than all the things we've talked about. Yeah. What, what is like the lasting bit of uniqueness for you? What's the thing you like you to carry from it when you think about it? trying to think of something that we already haven't spoken about because I know that I've also been talking about prose this whole time I've been like yeah like this book is written so well <laughs> it's just true like I I love when I pick up a book and like I can read the first sentence and be like wow this author is meant to write like this author is meant to write this book this is I think I know I know what it is this book is written by someone who is so in love with the story that they are telling. Um, and I feel like that is something that this is not even just Star Wars at all. It's just books in general. When I read a book, I can really, really feel like the love for the story um, that the author is writing. And I think this one was just such a hard hitter uh, in, in that sense of just knowing, or of just like reading it and being like, wow, like, 
the amount of passion and the amount of like creativity to like come up with all this stuff you have to and like we've been talking about how this is a very large universe that's not necessarily goes does not go by the rules of like our other star wars um universe and to kind of come to this like oh i'm creating a new world but still making it star wars just kind of putting my own spin my own lived in experiences in it um is very apparent that the the emma um just loved what what they were writing yeah i to- i totally agree with that i think the one other thing that i we kind of talked about but to go off of it um is like having the ronin as the main character character of this book i feel like i mean a lot of star wars we get these like young people who are like fi- just finding their place in the galaxy and like either like are like some sort of chosen one or like don't really want to be like a hero or whatever and get kind of like roped into it which I think that those stories are great I mean like that's a huge part of Star Wars and I think it's I love to read those things but I think what's interesting about the Ronin as like the main character of a book is that he already has like lived a life like a lot of things have happened to him he has done a lot of things but we also don't know what any of those things are for a lot of the book and like we kind of get them like fed to us slowly but like there is a really deep history already to his character that like I feel like you know sometimes we don't get as much of that when we get a protagonist who's like 18 19 years old and this is kind of like the start of their story for him it feels very much like this is sort of like a middle point of like he's already kind of had this like story play out for him and so now it's like the kind of like next phase of that um and yeah, I just, I think that's really cool. I think it's like great to have such a unique main character for a Star Wars book that like really strays away from like the kind of like typical stories that we're used to seeing in Star Wars. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Because I mean, at, at its core, you know, I mean, Star Wars is kind of, at its core, Star Wars is almost a YA story because, you know, it's like Luke and Leia, even though Leia, Leia's had sort of more foundational experiences than Luke. Um, you know, Luke and Leia are essentially, you know, of the age of around YA characters and Luke's journey is kind of very much, you know, follows that of what you might consider, a, you know, a, a YA character falls in terms of uh, follows in terms of like adventure and you know entry into a world and discovery about themselves and their place and stuff like that and star wars at its core is often focused on that but you're right the ronin is so much older has lived multiple lives you know has succeeded and failed and withdrawn and he is living the life of a star wars character that actually quite very often we see most a lot of star wars characters either kind of die before this moment or they get shifted into a very um kind of specific part of their life you know it's um you know it's like obi-wan in a new hope uh the ronin is like obi-wan's time in exile and then like through a new hope and then after a new hope if obi-wan had still been around and then he gets becomes alone it's just such a yeah it's such a period of life that we don't really see and in such an age that certainly as a protagonist star wars doesn't often give uh, hasn't often given like the space to or hasn't decided to focus on not for any bad reason but just that's just not the case star, star wars is a young person's game by and large right um and the older characters are usually like their guides into the world or their um their uh their support um, to get through the world 
Um, I think the Ronin would prefer not to have to be the main character, uh, given all of his his ailments and his just general uh, fatigue. Yeah, I think he has sort of like the like life experience of like a mentor character, but like is not in any way fulfilling that role. And I think it's like a really interesting like take on a character like that. And it's what makes I think it's what makes him really unique as a character too. He is like the epitome of the reluctant main character. Some mm -hmm. some characters have main character energy. Like the traveler has main character energy. The traveler would like to be the main character. <laughs> and in fact, that might be part of the challenge of the traveler's experience is that they might have tried too hard to be the main character at one point. Ronan would prefer never to be the main character, and yet everyone keeps trying to make him the main character and keeps dragging him back to be the main character even after he's like no i'm not the main character anymore let me go let me do something else everyone is like but what if you were the main character you know i think i was gonna say like i think like a huge part of his backstory is that he kind of like was the main focus and then he was like i really don't want to do that anymore and he's like kind of like you know i'm like doing my own thing now this is great and then all of a sudden he gets wrapped up in like the plot of this novel and they're like no it's actually like gonna be about you again and he's like well i really don't want it to be though uh-huh exactly uh and every time he meets someone who knows who he is or knows something about him that's it's like it's the most devastating thing and when hanrai's like by the way i know who you are and he's just like oh no <laughs> uh you're gonna ask me you know you're gonna ask me about being me and i don't want you to but you're you're right. Um, I love this book. I love this book so much. And if you haven't read it and you've listened all the way through, even if you haven't read it and you've gotten something spoiled, I promise you there is no replacement for actually reading to or listening or reading the ebook, however you prefer to consume your stories. There, there's just absolutely no replacement for experiencing this book um, because it's this is hyperbole sometimes and it's a thing that book publishers and editors and writers say but like there very truly is no other star wars book like this book they're just that is like that's actually a fact it's not hyperbole there just is not one from the way that it's written to the story that it's telling to the characters that it's telling them about um there just isn't another one this is a this is a one of one star wars book so um if you have not had a chance yet to check it out i cannot recommend uh emma Mieko Candon's ronin work uh any more highly um even if you've never read a star wars book before even if you haven't watched star wars movies actually check this book out the way you know claire you were talking about you know handing this book to someone who's not really a you know a big star wars fan or not really as engaged on like world building and the lore and whoever you know whatever's going on like you can give this star wars book to like people who don't like star wars and i think they will like it um at least that is my hypothesis. Hopefully people will go and test that for me and then report back, but only report back if I'm right. If I'm wrong, please don't tell me, uh, allow me to be deluded. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 but yeah, go, go test that hypothesis for me see how it works out. I can imagine that after um, the archive undying is out and blows up because I know it will, because it's literally amazing, um, or I'm assuming it's amazing haven't read it yet claire has <laughs> i'm just kidding um but um i think that people will be like i need more i need more of emma and come to this book and i think that that is a phenomenal idea um, also do you know how many people how many authors have had their debut novel be a star wars novel it's a really 
really, really short list. So that in and of itself um, uh, is is why this is worth checking out too. Because Emma's Emma's archive on dying absolutely earned this, um, which is which is really cool. It's so crazy too, because yeah, when I first read it, read it, I had no idea this was their debut novel, and I literally never would have guessed that from like reading it. I would have been like, this is a person who's written like like at least 10 other novels like it's so good like I can't and then yeah like once I sort of started like looking more into them as an author and I like followed them on social media or whatever I was like you're kidding right like I know it's a it's, it's a wild wonderful thing but yeah it's again those first three chapters of the archive I'm dying I was just like this is it um it's also why like in August we asked Emma to come back to write for from a certain point of view um, Return of the Jedi, which Emma very graciously decided to come back and write a story um, where she now gets to play with, you know, one of the Star Wars proper characters, you know, gets to play, um, um, as as Emma put it, gets to play in the sandbox with all the other Star Wars authors, because, you know, in this, Emma's kind of off on their own, their own sandbox, doesn't get to play with everybody else, um, but now gets to play with everyone else. Um, so that'll be fun. Um, and they're from a certain review story is like so different from this, um, but also still so very Emma. So um, that's fun to see it to see. I cannot wait for that. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of all the from a certain point of view books. I literally talk about them all the time and say just probably really annoyed by it. But <laughs> now that there's a new one, I get to talk about it more when it comes out. So well, it's it's oh, probably going to be I as long as the other. From, like, from a certain <laughs> point of view. I love it. <laughs> it's part of every episode. How could I not? <laughs> Wait, really? Do you? Does it come up in every episode? Claire does. I think there is absolutely one from a certain point of view mentioned in every episode. All right. Well, now you'll have 40 more. So they're really up the up <laughs> the wait. amount of content that you can fill in. Um, and I'm fairly certain that this third one is going to be, I think it might actually be longer than either of the other two by just a little bit. So you're going to get a whole lot more. Wow. Um, okay. <laughs> You can just, you'll have 120 stories now. You can like literally have a from a certain point of view moment every episode from now for the next 120 episodes. Like they, it applies to so much. Like every yes. every story, it's like every character, they're either like in a story or like something adjacent to a story has happened to them or like they could be in one in the, like I just, yeah, I'll find a way to bring it up every single time. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for being on, Tom. Is there anything else you want to talk about, or do you think we've covered a lot? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I will never shut up about this book. So <laughs> uh, we can talk about it forever um, because I just I never will. This, yeah, oh, man, I love this book, and it's I, I said earlier, it's like. The fact that any book ever gets published is like a weird miracle. I mean, Sage, you work with authors, like you just know, like the fact that anything ever gets published by anybody is this weird miracle. It's magic. It's it's actually the force. It's, it's all of those things. And so the fact that this book exists as it does with the prose that it does, with the story and the characters and everything that it does, it's like I look at it on my shelf and I'm still like, I can't believe that that one's real, um, you know uh on a, on a shelf full of 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 miracles um it really it really does stand out perfect well thank you so much for being on our podcast um for talking about ronin with us if you ever want to come back you're more than welcome 
Um, uh, I will come back whenever you want. Um, I will always talk about Star Wars books. Um, I really dig um, Fulcrum transmissions. So I will, anytime you want to chat, I will come back. I will come back to do the 120 episode recap of the From a Certain <laughs> Point of View trilogy, just one hour per story, just <laughs> knock out 120 of them. Um, yeah, we'll do it. Perfect. Our next girl boss of the week will actually be from a certain point of view. Oh, perfect. As a whole. She herself go. is a girl boss. Yes. Yes, she herself. <laughs> Uh, there's 120 of those, so maybe Girl Boss of the Month. I may just like turn <laughs> yeah. August because the book comes out in late August, like Girl Boss of the Month from a certain point of view. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Fulcrum Transmissions. Tom's social media will be linked in the description, so make sure to go follow him and also check out Amamiko Kandon, read Ronin, and pre order their book, The Archive Undying. Please feel free to send us questions. You can DM them to us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. Also, if you have any girl bosses you'd like us to do an episode on, you can send those in as well. If you enjoy our podcast, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'd really appreciate it. Once again, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye.